That's great. Heaven. Yes, that's good. Ben, miracles. Come on, you guys are getting warmed up. Matt, say it again. I can't hear you. Meant to be. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Loyal. Royal. Yes. Come on, that's good. Divine. Divinity. I was digging around in some resources today. Looked at the online dictionary, Merriam-Webster. The number four, you know, they have you know, multiple definitions. The number four definition for divinity, you know what it was? Did you say? No? Fudge? Did you say fudge? It is fudge. How did you know that? Come on, Starbucks gift card right there. Wow. That, are you, do you have a smartphone back there? Are you doing, she's an English teacher. It is fudge. Can you believe that? Not just any fudge. It's fudge that's made from whipped egg whites, sugar, and nuts. And if you've been fasting on your own 13th day like I am, I'm like, yes, that is absolutely divine. Nice. I like it. English, I better get my grammar situated if there's an English teacher in the house. Come on, let me share this thought with you. As much as I want to understand divinity, as much as I want our church to understand divinity, in spite of the limitations of our humanity, to grasp the infinite breadth and depth of the divine, my greatest desire, come on, for me and for you, is for divinity to grasp us, to be touched by the hand of the living Christ. Father, these next moments that we have together, as your church has been gathering together for 2,000 years, we know that there are some nights that become a marker for us in our journey. We know, Father, that over those 2,000 years, there are some nights for believers who gathered that later on in their years, they looked back and they say, that was a turning point for me. It was a night where something changed deep inside me. Father, my prayer tonight is that this night in January of 2012 is going to be such an evening for someone who's here today. That it's going to be a night where someone was held in the hands of the divine, your son, Jesus Christ. Come on, let's believe for it together. And everybody said, amen. Matthew 13, 52, we started there last week. I'm going to read it again, and it's going to be our launch point for tonight for how we're going to explore some stories in Scripture. It's in Matthew 13, 52, and it was our life verse. That was the New Living Translation. This is the New American Standard Version. It says, And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasures things new and old. So we talked about last week that if you're going to call yourself a church, if you're going to call yourself the house of God, there should be the presence of four things, at least four things that are mentioned in this prayer, uh, parable. It should be a house of discipleship, it should be a house of ownership, and it should be a house where treasures are both new and old. And we explained all that. If you weren't here, you can get that on the podcast, and the notes are always online that you can download through the website. But just at the end, just as a recap for where we're going tonight, this idea of new treasures and old treasures, new treasures are things that churches value and esteem, but they don't always. 
the kinds of songs that we sing, the kind of clothes that we wear, the, dec the decorative style. They're new treasures, but they're not always going to be treasures. Old treasures are the things that are timeless. They're the things that we value forever. If Jesus, come on, doesn't come back tomorrow, if he doesn't come back for a thousand years, the City Life Church is still in the peninsula ministering. There will be treasures that we have today that they will have then. They're the old treasures. There are the things that are timeless. One of the old treasures here for the City Life Church is that we will always declare the divinity of Christ and as such that he is fully present everywhere, especially here tonight, his arm outstretched, his hand open, his touch waiting for you and for me. One of the great parts of divinity is that Jesus has the ability to be fully present everywhere at the same time. This idea of the omnipresence of Christ, the omnipresence of the Father, of the Spirit, it's not as though he shares himself and spreads himself so there's a part of him over here and a part of him over It's not as though that Jesus is so big that he fills the universe and just where you happen to be, you get that part of who he is. The miracle of divinity is that Jesus is able to be fully present in every place all at the same time. So every church that's meeting in the world tonight, every church that's meeting in the world tomorrow, every place that you go, Jesus is fully present in that place, and Jesus is fully present here. And part of his divinity is not just his presence. Part of his divinity is that his heart longs to speak to your heart, to touch the parts of your life that are broken, to invite you into a life and a journey with him, for you to begin to walk with him all the days of your life. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter... Now, not, let's do Luke. Let's do Luke chapter 8. It's also found in Matthew 9, Mark 5. That's in the notes if you wanted to look at each story. But let's read the one from Luke 8. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 41. It says, Just then a man named Jairus came... He was a leader of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter about 12 years old, and she was at death's door. And while he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him, and a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all that she had had on doctors yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the tassel. We're going to talk about what that means and why that is. Touched the tassel of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. They're saying, Jesus, how could we possibly know who touched you? There's so many people here. Somebody did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me, and when the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him in the presence of all the people. And she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly cured. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, this is a fascinating story because this woman didn't just kind of, as Jesus was passing by, I hope I can reach out and grab him and kind of missed him. And the only thing she could get was this little tassel that came to, come to sweep by her. 
as we dig around into the study of Scripture, what we find that, that back in the book of Numbers in the 15th chapter, that God gives Moses instruction that he's supposed to pass on to the Israelites, that they are supposed to sew on to the hem of their garments tassels that they're supposed to put on the hems of their garments, on their prayer shawls, that they're supposed to be tassels that are there. And then God says to Moses, the reason why I want you to do that is, is so that it will be a remembrance of the law, that it will be a, a remembrance for people that I have a plan for how you should live, that it will be a remembrance for people that I've got an idea about how you can experience abundant life this side of heaven. So that in their culture, in their community, everywhere they went, they all saw those tassels. And every time they saw those tassels, it would remind them to ask themselves the question, am I following after God's ways? Now what gets interesting is that the word in the Hebrew for this tassel is kanaf. I mean, I'm sorry, the word for the hem of the garment is kanaf, K-A-N-A-F, the, the word for the edge of a garment. And Malachi, when he gives his prophecy in the fourth chapter, in the second verse, he picks up and uses this word kanaf, and he prophesies about the coming Messiah, and he says one day when the Messiah comes, he will have healing in his wings. And the word that he uses that translates wings for us in the English is the same Hebrew word that Numbers records, kanaf. And because of that, a legend began to develop in Israel that when the Messiah comes, that on the hem of his garment that carries those tassels that are a reminder and a remembrance of the ways of God and the law of the Lord, that there will be healing, restorative power. Malachi was the last prophet who had a voice in Israel for four hundred years until the coming of John the Baptist. For those four hundred years there was prophetic silence and for four centuries people were longing for the coming of the Messiah and they believed that in that hymn, in the kanaf of his garment, there was supernatural power. So when this woman sees Jesus passing by who's been suffering from this infirmity for 12 years, she has spent all the money that she has to no avail. You know what she says? If I could just grab the hem of his garment because I know that there's healing in his wings. Can you imagine what it was like for her to feel the hem of his garment in her hand? And can you imagine what it was like for her? Now, we don't know what it meant when power left Jesus' body. That's not explained for us in Scripture. But we do know this, that Jesus is divine. Not in the fudge kind of way, but in the God kind of way. Right? So the same power that created the universe flowed from him to her. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead flowed from him to her. The same power that enables him to forgive sin. The same power that enables us to break free from things in our life that we need to break free from. The same power that enables us to find hope in desperate circumstances left him. Can you imagine what it was like for her to experience the supernatural power of the divinity of Christ coursing through her mortal body? And she was healed, it says, in an instant. In an instant. 
all because she had the faith to believe if I could only reach out and grab, if I could only reach out and touch, that he can make a difference in my life. And it's interesting that Jesus says to her, not that my kanaf, not that the hem of my garment has made you whole, but that your faith has made you whole. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ at Easter every year as a church, but we reach for him all year long. We believe as a church that Jesus is alive. We believe as a congregation that Jesus is here. We, we don't gather together to exchange ideas about Jesus. We gather together because we believe that Jesus has been here waiting for us all day, and he can't wait for you to come. He can't wait for you to come with your brokenness. He can't wait for you to come with your fear. He can't wait for you to come with your doubt. He can't wait for you to come with your questions. He can't wait for you to come with the physical infirmities that many of us carry. He cannot wait for you to come to show up with your stuff because you know what? There is still healing in his wings. He can't wait for you to get here because he's the same Jesus today that he was 2,000 years ago when he passed through that crowd. And the difference between people who leave a service like this, who leave transformed and leave the same, are the people who are willing to reach out and take a hold of his hand. There's only one difference. You can come tonight and leave the same way that you came, like a lot of other people in that crowd. I guarantee you 2,000 years ago, that woman was not the only one in that crowd who had a need. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, that there were people that left that crowd because they just weren't willing to believe. They weren't willing to be conspicuous. They weren't willing to be seen. They weren't willing to set aside a measure of dignity that they thought that they were, they just weren't desperate enough to need him. I hope that the things of your life that you wanna see change, that there's a little bit of desperation. And it's good to be desperate when you're talking with Christ. It's good to have some revelation even if I spend another 12 years, I can't fix this myself. That word that Stephanie shared, come on, as, as we were worshiping together the walls of water that we face in this life, Jesus wants to make a difference, and he's asking you one simple question. Will you reach out your hand? Will you allow yourself to be grasped by the divine? I'm going to ask Kevin Garcia to come up. He's going to play a little bit. As I read some stories to you tonight, we're going to dig around into two stories. We're going to do something a little different tonight. Come on, you like different? I like different. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to read you the story of Zacchaeus. Kevin's going to play. And then after I read the story, I'm going to reflect. I'm just going to share some remarks, some observations out of the story. And then I'm going to pray. I'm going to do the same thing if we have time. I want to dig around in the story of Laban and Rachel and Leah and Jacob. And I'm going to share a few reflections on that. And then we're going to pray again. Because I'm believing that some of you here tonight, some of the things that are represented in the story is your issue of blood, if we can use that analogy. You with me? That, that Some of the things that you're going to see in the story are going to be some things that you're struggling with. That some of the things that you see in the story is going to, is going to represent the pain that you're carrying around. I, and I'm just telling you tonight, I'm just telling you that Jesus is going to walk in front of you. 
Not symbolically, not metaphorically, but the real Jesus. I've been living my life for Christ for 21 years, and I am telling you, there have been, been moments in my life, moments like this, where I know I didn't see him with my eyes, but something deep inside of me trembled because I knew that he was just near. And I'm telling you what, in those moments, I reach out every time to grasp the hem of his garment because there's healing in his wings. This comes out of Luke 19. It says, he entered Jericho, speaking of Christ, and was passing through. Come on, he's passing through tonight. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was. Now, being rich isn't a bad thing. That's given to us as a detail because a tax collector was a Jewish person that the Romans would identify and hire to collect taxes from their own people. So they were traitors, and the way they got rich is they collected more than they were supposed to. So he was a person who had betrayed his own people. He was trying to see who Jesus was. But he was not able because of the crowd, and he was a man of small stature. We're going to talk about what that means tonight. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come on, hurry and come down from there because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and he welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to the lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Lord, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Verse 9 says, Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I love how that story says that Zacchaeus was a man of small stature. And I love how he climbed up into a sycamore tree, which I believe is a great symbol for us when we struggle at times in our lives of our self-perception being that we're of small stature. What does that mean? It means that we struggle with feelings of inadequacy. It means that we struggle with feelings of I'm not good enough. It means that we struggle with feelings that maybe I'm not going to be able to do the things that I feel like God's called me to do. Maybe because of the mistakes that I've made, I'm disqualified from making the kind of difference that I see other people around me making. And this idea of climbing up the tree is a picture, it's a symbol, it's a metaphor for us trying to deal with our inadequacies with our humanity, trying to fix our own problems, trying to do it ourselves, trying to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps kinds of mentality. And when Jesus says to Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree, he's saying to Zacchaeus, your small statue issues, have, which have nothing to do with his height, but had everything to him to do with being a traitor, and had everything with him being a tax collector, and had everything with him feeling disqualified and inadequate and unloved because of the mistakes that he had made, Jesus was saying to Zacchaeus, there is no tree that is tall enough for you to climb to climb out of your problems. There's no tree tall enough that you can climb of your own ability, of your own strength, of your own natural ability to deal with your stature issues, but I can deal with them. If you would just come and be in my presence. 
So I'm going to pray in just a minute. I'm, I, I believe with all of my heart that there are some people here that you struggle with some stature issues. That you look back into your past and mistakes that you made, you feel disqualified. Or maybe someone has spoken something over you that said something or sounded something like you're never going to amount to anything. It might be that, that, that maybe some, some things that you're passionate about, some things that you're, that you're excited about in life, but, that, but when you stop and, and take an inventory of your abilities, of your resources, you, you might look and say, I'm never going to be able to do it. You've just resigned yourself to a small stature. It might be that as I pray, you don't even know why you want to stand up, but you just feel like you need to. I hope that you do. I hope that you do. For many of us, you know what we suffer from in moments like this? I call it flat butt syndrome. We stay mashed in our chair when Jesus passes by. When if we had only grabbed the hem of his garment, the same kind of power that left him then will leave him now. I am telling you, and you will feel something stir inside of you. If you get caught up in, well, if I stand, I'm going to have to explain it to the person that I can't. If you get caught up into that, come on, he's already, he's already gone by to the next person. You, you're tracking with me? I'm just saying, when you feel this desire inside of you, you stand as we pray. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Jesus is going to touch you in a deeply profound way. Father, I just, for people that begin to stand up in this house tonight, we believe by faith tonight that you are here, Jesus, that you're walking around this room, that you are physically present in this room, and that you want to touch people's lives, that you don't want people to be a Zacchaeus tomorrow, that you don't want people to live up in a sycamore tree of their humanity, that you don't want people to continue to walk around suffering from a sense of brokenness, that you don't want people to walk around in this life another day from the shame of their past, that you want to look people in their eye tonight, Jesus, and tell them that they are free, that you want to turn a page for some people in here tonight, that you, Father, want to write some new words on the table of their heart, that they're not a person of small stature, that they're not going to be a person that's overlooked, that they're not going to be a person that's set aside in your kingdom, that you have a plan for them, that you have purposes that you've called them to. And if they look into themselves tonight and they can't find what they need to fulfill the destiny that you've called them to, oh God, let it be that even now that there would be some type of impartation from you to them, that you would begin to deposit giftings into their life, that they would begin to have a, a sense of confidence, that they would begin to discover a sense of empowerment that even now, Father, just thinking about Acts chapter 2 and the, 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 the story of the birth of the church and how your spirit was poured out upon the people who were gathered together in that room. They were so incapable. They were so unqualified. But yet here we are 2,000 years later because they reached for the hem of your garment and they were changed forever. Father, for this house, for these people, for those that are standing here tonight, that they would feel the hem of your garment marking the palm of their hand and that they would never let go. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, come on. You ready for story two? All right. Come on, it's good, isn't it? Come on, you can come into church and you can look for information or you can look for impartation. You can come into church and hope that you're going to be able to leave and say, hmm, I didn't know that. Right? 
Or you could come into church and you could say, I'm, I'm believing for a 2 Corinthians 5.17 moment for my life. I'm looking for a 2 Corinthians 5.17 moment for my life. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We believe in a risen Savior who is present, who touches, who heals, who changes, who transforms, who revolutionizes people's lives. Growing beyond recognition. All right, come on, Genesis 29. You sound good up there, Kevin Garcia. Come on, Genesis 29. Let's pick up in verse 16. Let's do 15. It says, Laban said to him, talking to Jacob, just because you're my relative, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban, he had two daughters. The older was named Leah and the younger was named Rachel. And Leah had delicate eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. And Jacob loved Rachel because men are shallow. No, that isn't, that's not in there. So, so he answered Laban, I'll, I'll work for you. Now, I'm, I'm guessing he's paused here. This isn't in the text. I'm just guessing here. How many years should I throw out there, right? Two weeks, six months. Come on, what does he say? I'll work for you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. I think he says seven years, as we're going to hear a little bit later on in the story, because he knows he's breaking tradition. So he's trying to up the ante a little bit to entice his uncle. But little does he know that he's met his match. We know that Jacob's here, right, because he's just swindled his father, contributed to the delinquency of his mother to get the blessing of his brother. Reciprocity, come on, it will find you out. So Laban replied, this is the reply that every hopeful son-in-law is looking for from a future father-in-law. Better I give her to you than some other man. Ha! Stay with me, he says. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel. Listen to this. Oh, he's a romantic. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Aww. But then listen to what it says, verse 21. So seven years has gone by. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. For my time is completed, I want to sleep with her. So much for romanticism. So Laban invited all the men of the place to a feast. And that evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And he slept with her. And it says that Laban gave his slave Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her slave. Now we don't have any details. We don't know how all this took place. We don't know how he was deceived. We don't know how he was fooled. We only know that he thought he was marrying Rachel and he woke up the next morning and someone else was there. It said when morning came, there was Leah. And so he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? reciprocity right here come on wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you he's looking for some contractual clarification why have you deceived me Laban answered it's not the custom in this place to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn 
complete this week of wedding celebration and we will also give you the younger one in return for working for another seven years for me. And Jacob did just that. He finished the week of celebration and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. And Laban gave his slave Bila to his daughter Rachel as her slave. And Jacob was with Rachel also. And indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. So let me talk about this story a little bit before we pray again. And then after that, we're going to worship some together tonight. This is a powerful story for us because... In all of our journeys, there's times where we feel like God has been laden to us. For all of our journeys, if we've walked with God long enough, there will be moments in our lives, for some of you, it's already happened, where you were convinced that you had a deal with God. You were convinced that He had made some promises to you. You were convinced that it was going to turn out a certain way, that you were going to move to this place, that you were going to get that job, that this relationship was going to be just what you had hoped for. That this marriage was going to be the person that you were going to spend the rest of your life with. You tracking with me? There are moments in all of our lives where we find ourselves in a circumstance and a situation where this emotion wells up in my heart. God, you didn't keep your end of the bargain. Now we know because of the sovereignty of God, he always keeps his end of the bargain. We know because of what divinity means that he never makes mistakes. And if we ever find ourselves in a situation like that, it's because the devil is whispering in our ear that he labored us. And there has got to be something that wells up inside of us that says, God, even though through my natural eyes, even though through my disappointment, even though through my hurt, I see you through a filter that makes you look like a Laban, I know that's not who you are, and I know that's the whisper of the devil in my ear, and I'm not going to have any more of it. If we're not careful, we'll get stuck in a place where we're disappointed with God and it creates a trust impediment in our relationship with Him and we just get stuck in life. Because the things that God wants to use you to do, the things that God wants to do to see you launched into your destiny requires and necessitates that you trust Him unequivocally in spite of whatever moments where you have felt disappointed from Him in your past. It might be that you're here tonight and you're Jacob with some people that you're in relationship with, your children, your spouse, leaders in a church, people in this church, your boss, your neighbors, that sometimes as we begin to get to know people, the veil gets lifted and we see some Leah in them when we were expecting Rachel, that we find things about people that disappoint us. It happens oftentimes in marriage. We talk about this with married couples all the time. Not that you end up, you know, getting tricked and you wake up the next morning with the wrong person. But after you know that you've married the right person, there's Leah parts to their character that you didn't know that were there. 
There's Leah parts to their person. There's Leah parts to their past. There's secrets, things they didn't tell you, things that they kept from you, and you begin to get disappointed. And for some people, that begins to define a lot of your relationships with people. It's just one disappointment after another after another, and all of a sudden you begin to isolate, you stop trusting, and you rob yourself of intimacy of relationship with people around you. Or it might be that you're here tonight and you're the Leah. That you're the Leah. That you suffer from rejection. That there's people that you're desperately trying to please. That there's people in your life that that are important to you in a good way. People that you love and they just don't love you back. That hurts. Leah was a person that led a painful life because her husband would never reciprocate affection. It is hard to live in a place where someone holds you at arm's length when the love that they have is something that you really need for them to give in turn. And even then, what can begin to happen is that you give up hope, that your heart grows cold, but it just doesn't have to stay that way. Because in spite of of what your story is of feeling disappointed by God, in spite of what your story is of disappointment in other people as you've gotten to know them a little bit better, in spite of other people's failings to love you in ways that you have deserved to be loved. Oftentimes, it's our parents growing up. Come on. Sons with their fathers, emotionally distant. You know the story. For some of you, it's your own. We find ourselves in a place where we let our heart grow cold. God can't change what's happened to you, but he can change the power that that story has over you. He can begin to step in and love you in the ways that that person never did. He can step in and begin to care for you in ways that that person maybe they never will. The Bible has this beautiful picture in the Old Testament. It's called the kinsman redeemer. Come on, it's the one who steps in when others have stepped away. So, Father, we pray tonight into this moment. Come on, we're going to do the same thing. If you need to stand, just as Jesus passes by, come on, you stand and you reach out. Maybe you stood before, you're going to stand again. Maybe you can't stand enough tonight. Come on. Father, we pray for every person in here tonight that's wrestling with disappointment with you. We pray for every person that's in here tonight that at some point in their recent past has, has, has voiced to you in a moment of prayer, God, you didn't keep your end of the bargain. What I expected, what I thought you said you didn't do. Father, for people tonight that they would stand up in that moment and they would just begin to declare your sovereignty. That they would redeclare their trust in you. That they would reaffirm, oh God, their devotion to you. That they would reaffirm and reestablish a passion inside of their heart that says, even when I don't understand, I will trust him because he's my father and he's good. Jesus, we hold on to the hem of your garment tonight because we believe that there's healing in your wings and that you are going to supernaturally empower people to begin to trust the father again anew and afresh. Father, we pray for people that are in here tonight and they're, they're Jacobs in relationships that may be in their marriage or with church leaders or, or people in their community or family members, maybe their children. They've discovered some things about another that's deeply disappointing to them. And that, Father, that tonight that they would not follow the example of Jacob, that they would learn how to step into a place of grace 
that they would learn how to step into a place of not distancing themselves from that person, but recognizing that whatever that thing is in their life that disappoints them, that you've called them because of the relationship that they have with them to be a help to them, to be the one that begins to minister, to be the one that begins to bring grace, to be the one that begins to care. Father, that you would supernaturally empower people in this room tonight who are disappointed with spouses, who are disappointed with children, who are disappointed with people in church, that they would not use that as an excuse to withdraw, but they would say, this is an opportunity that my God has given to me to make a difference in the life of another person. That they would not let their heart grow cold. That they would not begin to isolate and lose their ability to build trust with relationships with other people. Father, in Jesus' name, as the divine walks by, that we would reach out and grasp the hem of his garment. And oh God, for people that are here tonight who are the layers of the house, for the people in the room tonight who have been rejected, for the people in the room tonight who feel unloved, for the people in the room tonight, whether it was through a romantic relationship, whether it was through a parent, whether it was through a caregiver, whether it was through a spiritual leader, but somebody in their life that was supposed to love them just didn't do it. For those people tonight that you would carterize that wound. We know that there's always going to be a scar. We know that there's always going to be the remembrance of the story. We know that there's always going to be the remembrance of what happened or didn't happen. But we know, God, that your son tonight is here in this place, that he is a great physician, that he can touch us in places that a human hand can't reach, and that you would begin to heal those wounded hearts tonight, that they would be able to rise up and that they would say, I am not a Leah in this world, I'm a Rachel. I'm not a Leah in the eyes of my God. I'm precious to him. I'm the apple of his eye. And then even if other people in this world would look at me and try to put that Leah label on me, I'm going to reject that label. And then I am going to live my life knowing that I am beloved of the creator of the universe. That there's going to be a restored sense of confidence in people tonight. That there's going to be a, a rejuvenated heart in people tonight. That they're going to re-engage in relationships where they've isolated. That they're going to begin to, to God say, you know what, even if that person who's supposed to love me doesn't love me. My love tank is full because my God speaks words of life over me every day of my life. Jesus, we know that you are here. You are here. You are present. You are near to us. And we hold out our hand. We hold on to the kanaf of your garment. We feel the tassel swinging just beneath our hand. And we know that there is power that flows from you into us that can change us forevermore. That if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. Come on, and the new has come. Come on, everybody stand with me. The worship band is going to come back. Come on, it's good to experience the presence of Christ, isn't it? I don't want to go to a church that just believes in who He is. I want to go to a church that has a confidence that He's present and that He touches, that He speaks, that He heals, that He changes, that He transforms, not an idea of who Christ is.
but a living Savior. This comes out of Matthew chapter 17. It's verses 5 through 7. It says, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. We talked about this not too long ago when we were doing our near series. It says, suddenly a, a voice came out of the cloud saying, they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Listen to what it says. But Jesus came and he touched them. He came and he touched them. And he said to them, arise and do not be afraid. I hope that as you move forward in your journey of life tonight, no matter where you are as a follower of Christ, that you will never be afraid to reach out your hand and to find his embrace. That you will never be afraid to say, I believe, Jesus, that you are here. I believe that you are with me. That you will never be afraid to reach out, grasp his hand, hold the hem of his garment, and know with confidence that he holds you in turn that you will allow yourself to be held in the grasp of the divine. Let's worship together. Now I'm free to live, free to give, free to be. I'm free to love you. I'm free to live, free to give, free to be. I'm free to love you. I'm free to live, I'm free to give. Free to be, I'm free to still love you, I'm free to live, I'm free to give, free to be, I'm free to still love you, I'm free to live, I'm free to give, free to be, I'm free to still love you, free to live, free to give, free to be.
as we close, I'm going to ask the people that are going to be praying to come up and take their spots up here. I'm going to ask you to do two things for somebody here tonight. Two things. If you're here and you look into the story of your life and you cannot find a moment where you made a vow of devotion to Jesus Christ, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up right where you are. Come on, don't be bashful. Just slip it up in the air. If you look into the story of your life, and you can't find a moment where you made a vow of devotion to Jesus, where you said to him for the very first time, my life belongs to you. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. I'm going to pray. And then the other thing I'm going to ask you to do is that you're going to come up and pray with somebody that's up here at the altar. Father, we lift up every person that's in this room right now. If there are people that are in this room, Father, who cannot find.